Hello, and welcome to another episode of What's the Tribe podcast with your host, Summer Haroon. Uh, surprise, surprise, I do not have a guest for this week, so you guys are going to get a solo episode by me, so hopefully that's good. But I do want to let you guys know that we have an amazing list of guests coming in March, and right now we're in the recording process, and everything is super exciting and awesome. If you um, read the title of this episode, you know that today we're going to be talking about attachment styles and attachment styles in the South Asian community. But before I get into that, I'm going to reach for my phone over here because I have a bunch of notes. And if you're listening to this on Spotify, iTunes, or Google, or RSS, you're going to be like, why does it matter that you're telling us you're picking up your phone? Because I'm actually also recording this. So you might see snippets and pieces um, on Instagram and other social platforms because I kind of pick and choose, you know, little clips to grab your attention. Um, I wanted to add this little disclaimer in that even though I am an associate clinical therapist, I want to be really frank and say that um, most of these podcasts are informational based and for educational purposes only. Um, the information is not intended to be therapy or psychological advi uh, advice or considered professional advice because I'm not your therapist. And um, this is not a platform where you could take therapy. And this information should be just educational. And um, you know, this information and this podcast does not like constitute for like a formation for a ther uh, therapist patient relationship. And you should really consult your physician or a mental health care provider regarding support and advice, right? So I really do encourage that if this podcast um, and you listening to it, uh, something resonates within you, take that as a step towards maybe seeking therapy, which it all is also going to be awesome. So and another thing, and I have to add this because even though this is in a session, um, if you are in crisis, please call 911 or whatever your emergency response number is in whichever country you're listening to. So yeah, I just want to put that out there real quick. Um, getting back to the topic at hand, which is attachment styles, right? This was a requested topic because I kind of pulled it out there and I was like, what do people want to hear me talk about? Uh, the client, uh, the clients, see, that's just therapist brain right there. Clients and sessions. I'm probably going to uh, call this podcast a session at one point. Um, so that just shows you how much in the zone I am. Um, but what's really funny is that I put it out there like, you know, if you guys had one topic that you really wanted to be covered within the South Asian lens um, from a mental health professional, what topic would you like covered? And the people that I talked to said that attachment styles is very interesting because everybody's like, am I anxious? Am I secure? Am I avoidant? Like, what's what's my deal? Like, does it matter if you're in a different country or a different culture? Do these things like kind of stem across the board in terms of attachment styles? And I was like, you know what, let me do a little bit more research because being honest, um, it is a Eurocentric based theory, attachment styles and attachment theory, because you need to understand that people of color did not develop this. And this did come from like, you know, institutions of um, establishments that were not catered towards collectivistic culture. So we have to be a little bit more mindful about that. But before I go into the specifics of how it might relate to the Desi or the South Asian community, I want to tell you a little bit about attachment theory before we go into attachment styles. I'm not going to bore you. Trust me. I'm not going to make this lecture as possible. Okay. To be honest, it'll probably turn lecture. I'm the eldest of five. Everything turns into lecture from time to time. Um, not in my sessions though. I'm just going to put that out there. I'm relatively good at maintaining that. I don't want you to do this. Um, but, um, so what is the gist of attachment, um, theory? So we develop attachment style 
uh, attachment styles based on our relation, uh, uh, butchering it. So let's start one more time. Um, attachment theory and the gist of it is that we develop attachment styles based on our relationship with our primary caregivers as babies or infants. So what that means is that the attachment styles are expectations we have in regards to our relationship with others. So where does that really play into when we talk about the attachment styles, right? The secure, anxious, and avoidant, like how does that even start to develop? So an indication is that it happens in infancy and when you're a kid and your relationship with your caregiver basically determines what kind of attachment style you'll have. So um, I'm gonna be linking a lot of resources where I pull this information because obviously I didn't develop this theory and um, there are, uh, the people who coined it, I'm going to link it also if you want to read more uh, up on it. But a super um, interesting thing regarding attachment styles is that the success depends on the caregiver's ability to understand and respond to an infant's physical and emotional needs, right? So when we go into that, So when we're still talking about the characteristics of like attachment, or we go into that um, part of attachment in infancy or when you're a kid, I know this is getting so technical, but bear with me for a minute, is that when your caregiver, your parent, when you were a kid, right? So if you cried, did they soothe you? If you even made a sound, were, were they overbearing? Or did they just let you cry? And like, we're like, you know, it's a baby. You don't want to like overly do things to soothe them because this is a learning mechanism. All these little things that were happening around you growing up was developing your attachment style. And that's something to really think about, right? Like, were your parents more avoidant? So the last example that I mentioned, like, you know, letting babies cry, like self-soothe. To an extent, that is okay. You know, kids also learn to self-soothe to an extent. But I want to go back to what I said earlier, where it's the ability to respond to an infant's physical and emotional needs, right? And that means to also recognize when a child can self-soothe. So you have parents or caregivers who are like, let this baby cry. And that kid might develop an avoidant. Um, attachment style. So I'm really making this as brief as possible so we can get into like the good juicy part where everybody wants to know what their attachment style is. So that can be an example of avoidant. So if we go into anxious, it's like, oh, the baby tripped. A uh, parent is kind of like, let me, let me really like coddle them. Or, oh no, he tripped and something's bad. Are you okay? This is creating anxiety with the kid because the child is constantly anticipating these things to be soothed and to be like, okay, something's wrong. Okay, I'm doing these little things. Should I be more cautious? Should I be aware? Or I'm just feeling jittery. So if the uh, if the client, the child is anything and it's constantly met with constant, you know, um, kind of like helicopter parenting, that would be where an anxious development style, a style would develop. Yeah, <laughs> I butchered that a little bit. And secure is kind of a hybrid right? It is the appropriate responses to like noticing your kid's crying too much. You soothe, the kid may be tripped and you allow them an opportunity to, you know, like recover. But if you know that they actually fell and you know that it's, you know, appropriate to go and approach them and soothe them and coddle them, everything is done appropriately. At the same time, independence is also being developed. So you're um, helping your kid develop these things 
basically you're helping your child develop appropriate responses to the environment. So not anxious, not avoidant, but secure, knowing that, hey, if my parent is going to leave me, I'm going to be okay. And knowing that, hey, if I fall down, my parent is going to soothe me as well. And this develops a security around um, the attachment uh, the relational attachments that we form in infancy. I'm sorry if I'm like butchering this or I'm saying a lot and it sounds very clinical, but it totally is. <laughs> Went to school for this, guys. Um, it's hard to condense this in like a shorter um, podcast episode. And I heard everyone's feedback where they were like, oh my God, all the other episodes were super long and um, tangenting off a little bit. The main purpose was that I love really long podcasts because normally when I listen to a podcast, I'm in the car, I'm on a really long walk or I'm working out and I just just love getting lost in a podcast. And sometimes I just don't find it sufficient to be just an hour, right? I push it to the hour and 30 minute mark, but hopefully because I'm the one recording this, this is going to be shorter. I think, I think that's where we're going. Uh, Excuse me. So with that said, and going back to, um, the three attachment styles, right? So we talked a little bit about how do they develop in infancy and what that might look like. I wonder while you're listening to this, if anything comes up from your past as to how your parents really brought you up. And this isn't just like, you know, your, your um, complete infancy where you're like one, two, three, four. I'm talking about this repetition happens in your formative years as well, right? When you're a teenager, how do your parents respond to your changes, right? Like, oh my gosh, he's like becoming a teenager and all these weird things are starting to happen and they're trying to like disassociate and this is happening in hormonal imbalance. And if they're starting to panic around you and be super anxious, you're going to internalize some of that anxiety and it's going to show up in adulthood, you know, or if, you know, some kids are, parents are just like, you know, it is what it is. Let them do their thing. And they do their nine to five job, uh, nine to five jobs. And your kid like comes back from high school and no one's really uh, attentive to them. They'll also develop a little bit of those avoidance tendencies, but I'm also generalizing a lot of these examples, um, to make it super like in layman's terms, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's exactly how verbatim these attachment, um, thingamabobbies form and a secure attachment style in, um, teenagers can be seen as, you know, your kid has a game and you go to their practice and you watch them and you support them. And then at times when your kid needs some space, you honor that space. And at times when your, uh, when your kid needs to socialize, you are like, yeah, absolutely. Like healthy socialization. I want you to be a part of your friends. I want you to be able to interact, um, with other people and develop really healthy social skills. And Hey, if you're in trouble, you always have me, you know, I'm not going to punish you if you're going to reach out to me in a situation of crisis or help. Um, and crisis, like parents can also like use that terminology. It's not specific to therapists. Um, but moving on with that, I know a lot of you at this point might be finding parallels to what I'm saying in your own lives. And I want you to be mindful of that before I go into other things that are more culturally related. So when I did some of um, my research regarding, you know, um, how does this show up in the South Asian community? I want you to, uh, guys to be aware of that there is very limited research done regarding this topic when it come to, comes to South Asians specifically. Asians as an overall population and looking at them from like the collectivistic lens, there is research done, but there are gaps in it. Um, some research articles that I pulled up talked about, you know, collectivistic and individualistic societies and how they might gravitate towards different attachment styles. And the ones that I pulled up, and I'm, I'm going to link it in the description for those of you who are interested to read it. Uh, it's awesome. The article is actually free online. I loved it. 
Um, <laughs> but it, uh, the research shows that Asian, um, Asians tend to be more avoidant and develop a more avoidant attachment style. So this was really interesting when I came by that because when I was talking to, you know, people within my generations who are millennials uh, mainly, or even like some of the people who I know who are Gen Zs, the majority of um, the comments that I was getting was that they were anxious. And they're like, we're, we resonate with the anxious anxiety sort of situation. Like that's our style because I have so much anxiety all the time. And, you know, I always feel jittery when I'm waiting for like that guy to respond or um I just feel a certain type of way where I'm constantly like walking on eggshells. And I was like, okay, so the research shows that we're avoidant. And I know, like I said, there's lag in the research. So, and the self-report from the population, I didn't do a very large sample style and this is not my research, but kind of to get a better understanding of um, the population, they're saying that we're more anxious so which is it? Is it because this research was done in a time that's not applicable? So this is where I go a little bit more clinical, right? I'm, I'm thinking about my own clients. I'm thinking about the work that I do because I do specialize in therapy within the South Asian community. That is my niche. And I was like, hold up, hold up, hold up. The more I think about it, the more I realize that in essence, we are anxious, right? The millennial generation Gen Z is an anxious generation because, you know, we went through like the market crash of 2008. We have all these um, external stressors that we can't really control. And we have just innate anxiety, it seems like. But when it comes to South Asians, we do have that innate anxiety as well. But the interesting is the interesting part is that we might be anxious, but our coping skills are based on avoidance, right? Bam. So that was like, that was like a kapow moment. Um, I don't know how well that translated, but maybe I should have said Eureka. Okay, never mind. Going back to, to the topic at hand. So a hybrid version, right? I don't know if you guys ever watched the originals or the vampire diaries. That was such a thing like hybrids, um, half vampire, half werewolf, being anxious avoidant. So I want you to sit with this and think about some of your own interactions in your life, right? Where you might've had a lot of anxiety. And I'm going to go with the classic example that I hear most common is that I am dating. And yes, um, South Asians do date. If you are um, someone who is a bit more conservative or of another generation listening to this podcast and you're like, South Asians do not date, do they date. They for sure date. Half of them are on Bumble and Hinge. Faux show. Um, but how does this show up? So we have um, a person, we have someone who's in their maybe early 20s um, and they are dating and they're like, you know, this guy did not text me. And the longer he waits to text me, I'm just feeling so anxious because we had this great connection. We had a great time. You know, he didn't have any red flags. And, you know, I vetted for this process. Like I've been dating for such a long time. And there weren't any red flags and now he's not texting me and I'm feeling so anxious and I just want him to text me. So the anxiety will go away. And like, Oh, I just wish I could just like stop thinking about this. And I'm having, you know, the stomach aches that come with anxiety. Okay. A day later, the dude texts you back, you know, even though you might have double texted him at this point. Um, and the dude's like, Hey, um, you want to hang out today? Um, uh, I have a lunch break at this time. I got uh, an hour. You want to meet up? Now I want you to really think about what your next response will be. 
in this situation, um, this person is like, he didn't text me that whole day. And the next day he texted me thinking I'm going to go out to lunch with him after all the anxiety I had to face. I am not going to respond to his text for the next like three to four hours and maybe even half a day. He should feel the way I feel. And if he doesn't know what's wrong, that's his problem. What does this tell you regarding this scenario? So Oh, this reminds me of the clinical exam, right? Like this, this can be a vignette. Um, also the example that I gave, I gave is not based off of anyone or any client or anything. I just made that up on the spot. So if that girl um, or any person who's dating that person responded with um, an answer to the text, which was like, hey, you know, I didn't hear from you all day yesterday. Um, it may be maybe say it made you feel a certain type of way. I don't know at this point, like in this vignette, how strong the relationship is, but we're going to assume that um, you guys talk every day. So that's normal. So bringing that up in the text and be like, Hey, we normally like talk every day. Was everything okay? I got a little worried or it was just out of character. So is everything cool? And that gives you an opportunity to kind of highlight a break in the pattern. And another thing that comes up is um, that you get to talk about you know, your own feeling that, Hey, is every, like, you know, it made you feel a certain type of way. You had an expectation that wasn't met and you're communicating. So this might be some sort of an appropriate, secure response, right. In that moment, um, where it's like, you know, you're acknowledging your feeling, you're acknowledging the break in pattern and you're doing something about it. And you're also responding. So what would an anxious person do, right? In that moment, they might like immediately text back and like be super enthusiastic and be flooded with relief and be like, oh my God, of course, I would love to go out with you. And, you know, I was just waiting. And again, I'm exaggerating this a little bit. It can like look very differently, but I think the flooding feeling of relief is like a really big indication of how much power that situation has over people who have anxious um, uh, styles of attachment. Now we're going to go to uh, the hybrid, which is uh, the anxious avoidant, right? So you are anxious. This person responded to you and now you're pissed. What are you going to do? You're not going to tell them, Hey, I felt a certain type of way about this interaction. Um, and you know, expressing your feelings, expressing the break in pattern, or even being enthused and responding, you're going to punish them by being avoidant because it is better to avoid the situation and not communicate. And this is something prevalent that I've seen um, show up in the South Asian community a lot. We avoid talking about problems, you know, um, silent treatment is like the biggest form of punishments that we have seen as like a collectivistic culture. So another example that I'll give you is, you know, a mom is going to maybe text you that you know I need you home by sundown and your phone dies so your mom and at this point the mom is like the core core person we're fo focusing on with the anxious avoidance style of attachment just to give you a little bit more reference to it so the mom is going to be like oh uh you know I was so worried and where are you why aren't you here yet I can't sleep at night your father's pacing we don't know what to do did you die and you probably were late by maybe 30 minutes in an hour and by this time I also want to indicate that you're in your mid-20s so you have a level of independence and a level of you know you're in your formative adult years. So if you're 25, your frontal lobe is totally developed, um, but you're still, you know, met with this like high levels of anxiety. Then you get home 
and you try to explain to your caregiver, your mom, like, Hey, you know, um, we were running late, you know, the restaurant was packed. There was a waiting time. And after we got our table, you know, things just ran late. I'm sorry. I wasn't able to get back to you. I was in the middle of the conversation, but, um, I'll be mindful next time. So this is you acting in a very secure way. But now I want you to observe the mom's reaction, which might be more along the lines of dead silence. And that is stonewalling. And that is a classic um, example of an avoidant behavior where they kind of shut down and then they just kind of leave you in that moment where they just don't respond to you and they walk away from the situation and can feel the tension. And then it leaves us with this confusion, like, hey, I communicated what was wrong. And if you notice in like South Asian um, parents, especially, this is so commonly occurring where they're going to sit there and they're going to act in silence and they won't tell you why they're angry. You know, initially they might, but then they might go cold and stonewall more often than not. We're completely detached from it and they won't talk to you and they won't tell you anything and they might go and self-isolate but the self-isolation isn't that they need space from you the self-isolation is a form of ignoring punishment where they kind of want you to you know go to them and um really like you know dig deep into like what's wrong like you know oh mom like what what's wrong like why are you upset and you know tell me like are you mad at me like okay fine I'm really sorry just please don't be mad and that's like something that stonewalling definitely does and that is something that can be for, uh, found in like avoidant and this isn't classic avoidant this is more like South Asian avoidant because in a classic avoidant way you might see like a guy who just like you know things get intimate and he avoids you for like two weeks because when things get too intimate, they just can't handle it. And their defense mechanism is to go avoid it. But in the Southeast Asian community, we use coping skills like stonewalling and it's not really a coping skill. Um, it's more of a very maladaptive skill to be mindful of. So in that moment, I hope you saw how the hybrid worked where there was so much anxiety regarding the situation. And as soon as that anxiety was curbed in the way that wasn't um, palatable to the mom, they went into avoidant mode. And in that avoidant mode, they don't tell you what's wrong. The mom doesn't say like, Hey, I'm really upset. I really got scared for your safety. And I really need you to do better in terms of communication. And maybe we come up with a system that when you get to the restaurant, you text me, when you text me, when you leave, you text me as well. And you can counter and be like, Hey, that's a little too much. I'm an adult. I will, you know, let you know, before I leave the house and I'm going and I'll text you when I get there. And, you know, if I'm running late, I'll do a follow-up text, but you also have to give that leeway. But in this situation, none of that happened. There was no communication about the feeling, right? There was no communication that, Hey, like something's wrong. Um, uh, and I feel a certain type of way. I feel disrespected. I feel like communication wasn't done. You know, we have certain boundaries in this household that I need to abide. it immediately. It was like, I'm going to shut down. You did something wrong. I'm not going to tell you what you did wrong. You're going to come to me and apologize and figure out what's wrong. And when you apologize and figure out what's wrong, I'm going to be okay with you. But until then, there is dead silence. So I find that really interesting when it comes to the South Asian communities. And I feel like we see this across the board, not just with parents, but with how we develop communication and attachment styles in our further adulthood life. Because if this is what you have seen growing up, believe it or not, you're going to adopt this as an adult. And a lot of work takes place to dismantle this particular anxious avoidant function. I'm probably going to do an entire episode on stonewalling because it is so broad in terms of how it shows up because I don't know why that's like the main thing, like using silence as a weaponizing, um, way, but that was just kind of an example of like the hybrid version. Right. And 
I want to talk about another way um, that anxiety builds up in um, the South Asian community and South Asian kids, especially within the generation that has social media and phones. Um, Another thing is when parents have a lot of controlling behaviors. So this is more prevalent in girls, right? Teenagers, it's like, you can't see your friends because we don't trust them. And you have to come home when the sun is still out. If you come home after the sun has gone down, like that's a major like no-no with us and constantly developing these uh, uh, anxious responses. So like making mistakes and being punished for uh for them silencing any sort of comment and responses like you're developing anxiety within the child whether you know it or not and this is this really does solidify the anxious attachment style where you know anything goes wrong you're kind of like triggered where it's like what did I do wrong you know when you come home and your mom maybe not doesn't greet you You're like oh my god what did I do like is my mom mad at me like oh gosh did I did I come home like a minute late or if you're out about with your friends and you're constantly heckling like guys I have to be home by this time and I have to do this you don't understand you know I can't do this and I can't do that and another example is like not even being able to approach your parents or approach um anyone in your um just like an adult figure or an authority figure because you always feel like you're wrong you know, and this bleeds into other, um, other things like insecurity, imposter syndrome, a multifaceted, um, I don't want to say diagnosis or uh, diagnoses or diagnoses, Jesus, or disorders, but it does bleed into other things. But these are prevalent behaviors of someone who has an uh, anxious attachment style. Um, and it does stem from the way that your parents and your environment treats you. But another, um, area where attachment styles do tend to also grow and like strengthen because it's a foundation, right? You've developed a foundation with your caregiver. Now it has to be strengthened, right? And that can happen in your environment, your social group, your school, whoever you interact uh, interact with, whether it's distant family members, all of these things will contribute to your attachment style in your formative years. So I know I gave a little bit more example of you know, what this looks like through an example in a guise and a lens of um, this scenario with the girl and the guy. But I want to give you a little bit more concrete things before you read books like Attached or this awesome um, relationship article that I found on mindbodygreen.com. It is so good. And I think it's going to really help you formulate maybe what kind of attachment style that you have. But again, always do your own research. Um, things are very person specific, but let me let me read this out to you. and. Um, Based on these statements, tell me what resonates with you. So I find it relatively easy to get close to others and I'm comfortable depending on them and having them depend on me. I don't often worry about being abandoned or about someone getting too close to me. Take a moment and think about it. What do you think this attachment style is talking about? Um, I'll give you a minute. Think about it. What do you think? If you thought it was secure, ding, 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 you are right. That is an uh, a secure attachment style where there's a back and forth of dependency. Um, and in a later episode, we're going to talk a little bit more about codependency, but this is just the appropriate amount, you know, and there's no worry about abandonment. There's a healthy sense of individuation and then you function around that and you're not too worried about being vulnerable and 
you're just part of a healthy cycle of relationships. And it's not, again, not cookie cutter where it's like a so simply defined. Everybody has their problems. Everybody has their insecurities and they play in, but it doesn't play into, it doesn't play in at a point where it completely overtakes a relationship or a person. So let me read the second one to you. I find that others are reluctant to get as close as I would like. I often worry that my partner doesn't really love me or won't want to stay with me. I want to merge completely with another person and this desire sometimes scares people away. Take a second. Think about it. Is it avoidant? Is it anxious? Which one can it be? If you guessed it was anxious, you are correct. This talk of merger, this desire to be so close with people, this constant need for reassurance, it really, really stems from a place of anxiety, right? Anxiety is this unpredictability and the unknown. But we're constantly second-guessing ourselves in those states, and we're constantly just assuming we're anxious. We're con- not assuming we're anxious, but that we're unloved, that if our partner isn't close to us, or if they don't respond in like a certain amount of time, a calculation starts to formulate in our minds that if they didn't do this, that means they don't love us. And that constant reassurance can really, really start to be a burden on any relationship, whether it's romantic, whether it's platonic, whether it's, you know, even child parent. And I think you really see that in this, um, the way we've talked about the example in this podcast today. So the third one is, I am somewhat uncomfortable being close to others. I find it difficult to trust them completely, difficult to allow myself to depend on them. I'm nervous when anyone gets too close. And often, love partner, uh, and often love partners want me to be more intimate than I feel comfortable being. So with the three options, this is obviously the avoidant one. And this one is phrased very interestingly because if you've been in therapy or if you've done a little bit of work on yourself, you're going to think that this is appropriate, right? It talks about boundaries. It talks about another person who's just not ready to commit yet. But if this is a consistent pattern of like every time you get close to someone and you have this urge to close up and run away and not allow them any insight into the kind of person you are, the thoughts, the feelings, that's just avoidant and it's distance. And it's also a fear response, right? Like anxious and avoidant are both fear responses to our emotions and the situations and people because with avoidant people like being vulnerable is so difficult that if they maybe connect and show themselves it might be too much for them to handle whereas anxious people overly share and overly attach themselves and then that becomes too uncomfortable because they're just like I need this person to know um so those were like three examples that might help define um the attachment styles so this was like a really basic level of understanding how it is I know we probably want to you probably want to go a lot more in depth than what that looks like very specifically as well um and there are super great resources to definitely gauge that a book called um attached is awesome because they have a quiz at the end which helps you figure out what kind of attachment style you do have but across the board definitely we need more research going into all kinds of theories when it comes to the South Asian community, because we are a collectivistic community. We, we function uh, as a collective, as a group, right? So these things need to be covered. And some of these things can't be as black and white as being avoidant, which is completely, you know, like detached. It will have other sort of factors involved. When it comes to South Asians, you know, I talked about us being more anxious avoidant. Like I said, a lot of research needs to be done into the specifics of it. But now that you have a little bit of a tool set into identifying what these things look like, maybe you can find places in your life where these things play out, whether it's in friends, partners, 
parents and how that's impacted you. I think the next step people are going to say like, well, if I'm anxious or if I'm avoidant or if I'm secure, what do I do with this information? And like I said, this is an educational podcast. Um, and in these moments, I think it's super important to be aware of the behavior first. But if you're interested, I might make a part two regarding this and what to do if you realize that you're in an anxious avoidant situation uh, in your attachment style, what to do if you're avoidant and you want to be a little bit more secure and allow that vulnerability. Or, you know, if you're just secure, um, wanting more information, how to maintain that security, or if you're secure and your partner is anxious or avoidant, how to be able to close a uh, gap in communication and really work on that. Um, again, these are just tidbits and tips. If you're interested, I would love for you to drop me um, a DM on our Instagram page or even email us. Um, I will have all the links in the description and we can continue this conversation. And I'm so glad you guys were here for this brief episode and hopefully you enjoyed it. And I will see you guys next week, hopefully with a really special guest. And until then, follow us on Instagram at what's the chai official and I'll see you next week. You guys have a great one.